0: So there's a story uh, of a colonel uh, who served as an inspector general in this particular military base, and he, he would pay close attention to how personnel would um, you know, comply with a dress code or how they would wear their uniforms. And one day, he spotted a, a junior airman uh, with a, with a code violation basically. So he kind of raised his bra- eyebrow and said, airman, and he said, what do you do when a shirt pocket is unbuttoned? Right? So this junior airman was startled. He was, kinda, he was caught off guard. And he said, button it, sir. The colonel looked him in the eye and said, well. So at that, this guy with a trembling hand, he'll reach over and button his you know, shirt pocket. <clears throat> How easy it is for us to see the the shortcomings of other people when we really have a flaw, flaws of our own. Pride is blinding. It is condescending. It is really dangerous because oftentimes we fail to see what we are lacking, what, what we need to really work on. It's far easier for us to see the flaws and the shortcomings and what's lacking in other people. I mean, like outright arrogance, pride, things like that are pretty easy to spot, right? Racism, it's really easy. There are some subtle racism, of course, but we we feel it, we can see it. Now that we, uh, you know, today we have, uh, for those of us who are, you know, into sports, the Super Bowl Sunday, and I guarantee you, it's the biggest game of the year, and so I guarantee you, if, even if you're not into football or whatnot, if you watch, if any player makes a really important play, I guarantee you, watch this, that they're gonna just get up and they're gonna do it. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, you know, the chest thumping, right, just to, and then they go like this, right, with their name in the back of their jersey, just to kind of just show people that, uh, that they're really good, right? They, they made something that they're really cool and they're just awesome, right? Those things are easy to spot. But there are many other forms of subtle pride that seeps through human uh, and sinful human hearts that we don't really detect easily. At times, it could be kind of like making comparison with other people, right? Uh, even in a Christian setting, I've, I've noticed there are some, like especially in, like the Korean Christian setting, there are people who faithfully and diligently attend like early morning prayer meetings. And for those people, sometimes they go to those people who do not attend early morning prayer meetings because it's pretty early, five thirty in the morning. Who would wake up, right? So it's not easy. And they would kind of say, "Hey, have you did you have you been attending early morning prayer meeting lately?" Right? Kind of looking at them as if like they are not really spiritual. Making a comparison like that. Or say something like when there's a feedback and you hear it and you get really defensive, right? You just cannot take that kind of criticism or feedback. Those are all like subtle form of pride. Right. Pride can rear its ugly head. At any moment. But true humility comes from having a biblical understanding of who we are in light of who God is. We have to really just know, right, the holiness and righteousness of God. That, the, uh, you know, the righteousness of God and holiness of God cause us to come before him trembling because we are also fully and painfully aware of our uh, sinfulness. The passage talked about the fear of God, absolutely. But the fear of God really comes because we know who God, have the right understanding of who God is, how holy he is, and how he cannot tolerate sin like we can. And we are in awe of his holiness, his righteousness. So having that understanding, but at the same time, the gospel tells us, that we are, in spite of all our sinfulness and unworthiness, God has accepted us. God, we are forgiven through Christ, that we have been received into His family through the work, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, having that right understanding, yes, we are sinners, but we are also saints. We are. Humility does not simply say, oh, I am nobody, right? What, what, am I, what am I good for? I cannot serve. I cannot serve God. I can't do anything. That's all false humility. When there's a, a need and then, uh, you know, when there's a calling and, and there is an announcement maybe for somebody to step up and just serve in different uh, areas, if you say, oh, you know, I, I'm not a good Christian. I can't who am I, to even just get involved in church ministry? It sounds like you're humble, but in, in actuality, you, you are really, that's just a false humility. Humility simply doesn't say I am nobody and just leave it at that and that I am, uh, I'm not, you know, able to do anything. But humility says that though I am, uh, I am fully aware of my unworthiness, but I will offer myself for his service. So there's a, uh, the difference. Even in the, in the Bible, we see those things. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 10 and 11, this is when God calls Moses. You know, the, the famous uh, part where you know, God speaks to Moses through the burning bush and says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring, you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He refused. He like, said, oh, you know, God, you, you got the wrong person, right? I mean, I basically killed an, an Egyptian guy, and I'm on the run, right? And I've been in the wilderness for, like, you know, getting married, and, um, you know, I am nobody, right? How could I lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, even just you know, actually just facing Pharaoh. I I am nobody. I can't can't do this. Please go to somebody else. It sounds like he's pretty humble, but that's false humility. He did not understand that it is God who has chosen him, that God has given him the purpose and the calling, and yet he refused. False humility. Whereas Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. When he heard the call of God, he volunteered himself. He didn't say, well, you know, I am not worthy, and I am nobody. I cannot possibly serve you. No, having that right understanding, even as we are lacking in so many different areas, when God calls, you humbly receive that, the call, and you step up, you rise to the occasion. I don't know how many times that when I look at myself, I'm like, uh, oftentimes I'm my worst uh, critic. They're like, oh my gosh, how can I even serve God in this capacity as a pastor, right? Sometimes I just feel so unworthy, and yet I remind myself time and again, because it is God who calls me to this that I am grateful, even though I feel so inadequate. I said, "You know what, God? I will offer myself for your service." So in this passage, um, you know, yeah. So in today's passage, gives us a clear contrast. And tells us an appropriate, appropriate posture that we are to have before God. And the first point, uh, that the, and the first thing that we see in this passage is the perils of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is obvious, obviously a form of pride that Jesus ruthlessly attacks in all four Gospels. Self-righteousness is a pinnacle of human pride. It leaves God out of the equation and it substitutes self in there to negate the need for God, for His grace and His initiatives. It is the exact opposite of the gospel that tells us that it is God who must provide a way for us to to reconcile with God and to make us whole. Because on our own, on our own attempts, and efforts will never be good enough. All the obedience, and all the work, good works that we may do, it's, they're not simply good enough before God. So God has to initiate. God has to show us the way for us to come close, have an access to God, and to be reconciled to God. But the self-righteousness says the opposite. So Jesus, we see Jesus being absolutely uncompromising in his dealings with the self-righteous people. He would even just call the scribes and the Pharisees, you brutal vipers. That's a very harsh thing to say to people, very offensive. He would say such things to the self-righteous. And guess who championed self-righteousness in Jesus' time? The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, no wonder they vehemently opposed Jesus. Because everything that they believed in and lived out and lived for were based on their performance, their self-righteousness. How obedient, how many like religious observance that they would carry out. They believe that it is their uh, you know, following and their good deeds, the piety that would make them right with God. It's, the, it's really all about their efforts. And because they were so confident in their own righteousness, they judged and measured other people based on their standard of piety. So they would just kind of set up certain kind of standards. Okay, for to be a good, say, Christian, to be a good person, uh, you know, people, people of God, these are the minimum that you should be doing. And they would set up all these standards, and they would just watch and see who is meeting these standards. If you meet them according to their standards, then you are a good person. You are a good Christian. You know, the Pharisees get such a bad, bad rep now because, because of all that Jesus had exposed, but back then, right, people regarded them highly. I mean, And because they were so good at like you know, showing them off, how pious they are, how religious they are. So people regarded them highly. The, the Pharisees were the most pious people uh, in the society, and tax collectors, on the other hand, most despicable because they were considered the traitors. So Jesus telling this parable in the presence of the self-righteous is a, basically a thumbing your nose at them kind of thing, kind of like challenge. So in this story, in the temple, the Pharisees stood with eyes and hands lifted to heaven. Because there was a common posture during that time. They would go up. Right? They would stand in a prominent place to pray. And he begins to pray, lifting his hands like this. And uh, in verse uh, 11, it says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's patting himself on the back. He commends himself for for being so devout. And you notice here that the prayer is all about I. I am glad. I thank you that I'm not like this guy, you know, all these other people. And even the the person here, a tax collector, a trader, self-righteousness and the pride often reveals an elitist attitude. He says he stood by himself and he prayed. And he despised his neighbors and he suggested to God that there was really nothing that he really, really needed because he was self-sufficient, self-reliant. And probably it's true that his way of life was different than most people, because he did the, 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 the Pharisees often they did more than what the law required. He says, "I fast twice a week." even though the law required people to fast once, at least once a, once a year, on the day of atonement. That's the only requirement that anybody would have in the Old Testament. That day, you are to just fast. But on top of that, there is no other mention. But he like, said, oh, you know what? For us to be really devout, to, for us to be really committed, to show ourselves to be really committed before God, let's start fasting. Maybe you may have started with like, you know, once a month and then just once a week, and then you got to the point where if you're really serious about God, then you should fast twice a week. Man, that's, I don't know how many, I don't, I don't, I, honestly, I, don't, I can't remember the last time that, that I fasted, but uh, can you imagine fasting twice a week to show his devotion to God? He was so full of himself and elevated himself above other people. He felt righteous because of his own piety. You know, that's something that uh, what pride, how do we know when we are being prideful? or, you know, have the self-righteous attitude is to see if we are separating ourselves from other people. For example, when you hear a message, maybe the message is about, I don't know, gossip or some kind of addiction, right? And immediately you think of someone who should be listening to that message, saying, man, I wish he or she should have been here in this message, uh, in this service, hear this message, because this message is for that person. I don't know about you guys, early in my Christian years, I I thought like this all the time when I heard a message. And I was like, oh, man, I look around, and I see, I think of a couple people that should be listening because like, I know they really need to hear this message and just be challenged and be broken before God. I said, "Mm, they're not here. Oh, man, what a waste of a message, right? What am I doing? I am separating myself from the message that God is speaking to me, right? Because I am saying I am above the message. I am above these these kind of people who need to hear this message, right? That's what's... Uh, self-righteousness and the pride do you separate yourself because you are like I am above this I am better than this no wonder this Pharisee didn't really have a need for God because he was so full of himself he was f- so full of uh, his, uh, the, the, the confidence in his own righteousness he didn't really need anything from God why would he He's already doing all the things that he believes that that God requires of him. And self-righteousness inevitably leads to criticism of other people and confidence in oneself. As verse 9 says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Because when you are, have that pride and self-righteousness, yeah, it cannot help but it will lead to criticism of other people. And you are very confident and trust in your own, trust in your own abilities, and what you have accomplished. We are very, for, uh, you know, we are very forgiving and gracious, gracious to our own sins oftentimes, to a fault. When it comes to other people, boy, do we not have a field day? We are like, look at some other people. Man, what's wrong with them? Self righteousness, the pride, it is so, uh, it's, it is so uh, blinding. You know, as Matthew seven three says, you know, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? We have to really examine ourselves before God. Because it's so blinding. It's so easy for us. So, so that's why like, at times I don't want to talk about the, the topic. i don't like to say something like humility because I'm like, I'm, I'm preparing, I'm speaking all this. All the while, I can be prideful in this thing. So I have to always examine myself. And I just don't want to, at times, I don't want to talk about it. But, you know, God would lead you to speak a difficult topic like this. And the other character in the, in the story, is it, you know, it's, it's, we see a stark contrast. It paints a picture of humility. So the second point is the virtue of humility, right? While the Pharisee was self-congratulating, the tax collector prayed with humility. He poured out a confession of sinfulness and appealed for God's mercy. Right? It says in verse 13, tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood who he was. The only thing he understood, uh, what he did was he appealed to God's mercy. He had a keen awareness of who he was and his own, uh, who he was, and his own unworthiness. He was earnest. But that's not where he stopped. Some people, they're like, oh, I am nobody, and then they get so discouraged. And that's not really part of the humility, because the true humility, because you know who you are, now you turn to God, because you also understand who God is. You have the right understanding, correct understanding of God. He will just cry out for mercy, for he knows that God will be gracious to him. Humility does not look elsewhere or focuses on other people for their shortcomings. Now, to catch the force of the parable in today's setting, it's almost like comparing a a deacon or an elder, a leader in the church who is being very active at church, to someone, someone who is engaged in some kind of human trafficking, or something like that. Let's just suppose that you've never, ever heard this story before, right? And you are hearing it for the first time. Because we are so familiar with this uh, parable, it doesn't really surprise us anymore. But for the original uh, audience, to hear the ending would have been utterly shocking. How could the despicable tax collector be justified rather than the pious Pharisee? How could, how could God accept? Here, when he says be justified, it means that he's been uh, accepted by God, right? How could God accept a traitor, a scum of the earth, and declare him forgiven while you have the Pharisee? Right there, doing more than what the law required. How can this be? The Pharisee here, Jesus says, the Pharisee came home, uh, went home no different than when he first came to the temple. He may have put up all the show, religious show, but he went home still unjustified. He was not received and accepted by God. Even though he thought he was, there was no change in his status, his relationship with God, because there was no relationship to begin with. He relied on his own merits, not understanding that no human righteousness is ever sufficient before a God who demands perfection. But the tax collector relied on God's mercy. And he found it. So this, the verse 14, I think for us, because, ah, okay, whatever, let's move on. But for the original um, audience, this was a, a shock. It totally upended their view, their understanding of how God would work, who God would receive, who is worthy. Biblical humility is grounded in the character of God. It's not something that we muster up from within us. That's not true humility. It really starts from understanding who God is, what He has done for us. It's not something like, you know, it's just kind of constant, just like, you know, just brainwashing yourself oh, I have to be humble. I have to be humble. Right? Even the deep inside you're like, I am up to here, I am a pretty decent, good Christian. But, you know, the Bible says, oh, I should be humble. So, okay, maybe, you know, I don't, you don't truly believe it or you don't really, but you, you really think you're pretty decent. But somehow, okay, somehow it's just through a psychological, like, you know, manipulation that you would just think less. Okay, okay, you know, Bible says I should be down here. So, but deep inside, you're not, you think you're a pretty decent person. Right? That's not uh, humility. But to really look at who God is, how holy and righteous God is. And having the proper fear of God, trembling before Him. At the same time, understanding that we are His beloved. That's the beginning point of humility. You know, we've been reading through Matthew these days. You know, and Matthew twenty twenty eight 28 says, that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. When we look at the life of Christ, that he didn't come, even though the Son of God, the creator of this whole universe, he didn't come to be served. But to serve the desperate need that every, each and every one of us has, because of our sin, we had no way to God, and he offered himself. The greatest display of humility was Jesus on the cross, obeying the will of the Father we know what humility is like because of christ we know the face of humility we know the face we've seen the face of love because of christ and humility is absolutely necessary to enter god's kingdom as matthew 5:3 says blessed are the ones blessed are you who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god it is a bankruptcy of spirit that has no merit, but dependent depends only on God's righteousness, righteousness for salvation. So in order for us to have a proper and right relationship with God, the humility, knowing who we are in light of who God is, is absolute necess- necessity. Right? And it's not just for our salvation, but for our daily lives. The last point that I want to bring out here uh, is the paradox. Jesus says, as people are absolutely like surprised, huh? That God would justify this tax collector rather than the Pharisee? uh, The second part of verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It is consistent with a kingdom reality that is counterintuitive. It's just like in other passages, Jesus says, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Or he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Consistent. Whoever wants to, uh, whoever uh, exalts himself. Because you know, this world tells us, hey, be proud of yourself. Believe in yourself. You, know, you have to kind of market yourself. If you want to go anywhere, if you want to make it through the, the ranks of the, or the corporate ladder, or if you want to be somebody, right? you have to kind of do your PR and you have to kind of, you know, just... Uh, do things, right? To make it big. So believe in yourself. Do something. You can do it. You are special. You are somebody. Be proud of yourself. But scripture is clear. No one has anything of value to bring to God in in order to merit his acceptance, Salvation, or even a second glance from God. Whatever that we try to bring before God is just simply not good enough. We have to acknowledge this as a basis of our relationship with God. Because without this, there is no relationship with God. Pride leads one to exalt oneself. And in essence, by doing that, you are declaring a war on God because you are really saying, hey, I want to call my own shot. I want to be enthroned in my own life. I am the center of my universe. Self-righteousness, pride, they essentially say the cross of Christ is really unnecessary. Trust in your own goodness and good works to present yourself before God through your own works by doing all these things. The self-righteousness, or the pride, says, you know, look what I've done. I deserve to be saved. So in the end, the bottom line is salvation comes down to what I do, my good deeds. And that's exactly what the Pharisee was saying, Right? Thank you, Lord, that I am not like this because I do, I fast twice a week, and I give almsgiving, I do all these things. I observe all the, what the law requires. Am I not good enough in your sight? Let me boast about myself. Why would I need God, really? I just want you to hear my, uh, 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 I just want you to hear or notice my accomplishment. Pride. Self-righteousness cancels Christ and the gospel. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Can you imagine, can you picture God actively opposing you? Who are we? How can any one of us stand in his way and say, uh oh, oh! Can you imagine God opposing you? Would you stand a chance? That's what the scripture says. He will oppose you if you are being prideful. But on the other hand, he would give grace to the humble. God would be gracious to those who are being humble before him. So it turns out in the end, it's the Pharisee who would eat humble pie before God. It wasn't the tax collector. In his infinite wisdom, God has defied the wisdom of the world. Because this world says, promote yourself, market yourself, be proud of yourself. You are somebody. You can do a lot of things on your own. But God says, no. Without humility, we can't be near God because he will really have to break our pride. So let us walk humbly before God. May we be the ones that would really come to really fear the Lord, have that right healthy fear, revere God, reverence God, or to love God and to approach him with also the confidence knowing that He would receive us when we come before Him in humility, continue to love Him, walk with Him. So let's pray at this time.